0: All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Ayana, and we are here on another episode of Sasso en Corazón. I am joined today by a very special guest. Her name is Abina. Abina, please tell everyone listening who you are and what you do.
1: So I'm so happy to be here. Um, I feel like us meeting is kismet. So I am Avina Hayes, and I am... A healthcare communicator and marketer. I am a passionate storyteller. I am an equity architect because I've both lived my life and worked through my profession as someone who has worked with a range of different communities and people to try to build equity in their worlds, be it from a corporate perspective and be it from a healthcare perspective. Um, and my goal in life is really truly to help people build equity one authentic step at a time. Because mm-hmm. I feel like we live in a world where everyone is vying for the Oscar um, for mm-hmm. the best ei and I performance. But with the world that we're living in, I think we really need to be doing right and well by our people in the most authentic ways. Yes,
0: one authentic step at a time. Well, I've really got to put that on a sticky note somewhere. That's that's really great. <laughs> um, and I am so upset you didn't correct me. It's it's okay
1: and that's and that's okay that you asked you asked about the pronunciation um because it's not a common name but um it's it's a function of my parents wanting their children to have interesting names with meaning um Mm. so I don't mind you asking that because then it gets gives me the opportunity to not only share how it's pronounced but also tell the story of how I got it
0: Well, now you have to tell the story. How did you get it? I
1: will. I will. So um, my my father wanted both me and my brother to have names that had some significance. So he looked to my godfather, who was from Ghana, for inspiration. So my first name, Abana, um, is a Ghanaian name that means girl born on Tuesday. And guess what day of the week I was born on? And on, then, a <laughs> on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. And then my middle name um, is called is Asantua, and it's the name of the last Ashanti queen who fought off the British when they tried to colonize the country. And I mm. got that name because when I was born, I was a preemie, and I wasn't supposed to live, and I did. So they wanted a name that symbolized a fighting spirit.
0: Wow! And look at you. Bringing that Here spirit everywhere you are today. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I well, am. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. That's a beautiful story. I love that. Um, I'm very. You. I feel very connected because my daughter is also, was born premature. So that's absolutely just wonderful connection there. She's also a fighter and won't let down.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, I th- there's something in that experience, I think that probably just kind of fuels you, right? Because mm-hmm. when I was... Not only was I pre-me, but you know, when I was in the neo uh neonatal unit, apparently I wasn't putting on weight when they had me in the little incubator. So because I kept moving around. So they put restraints on me. So my nickname when I was in the NIC ICU was Perpetual Motion. And like to this day, I always move with some kind of energy. Like my niece who I was looking after when she was in New York with me for STEM camp was like. Why do you just like move like a busybody? I'm like I need to keep moving. I can't slow down. There are things to do and places to be. So I totally yes. live up to the like nickname of perpetual motion.
0: <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness! I'll I'll put that in the description for anyone who wants to call you <laughs> by a term <laughs> of endearment. <laughs> so, um, I just want to start with a check-in. Just how yeah. are you? I know there's so much going on for you right now. So how are you feeling?
1: I would say I'm feeling a combination of overwhelmedness, but also gratitude, probably also a little bit of amazement. And I say those three things because what you know, Ayana, and what your listeners are going to hear is I like made this massive leaf of faith late last year to kind of go out on my own and build my own consultancy, focused on doing DEI and health equity work. And I did it without... Like a true plan. I was like, I think this is going to be it. And I'm just going to like build it as I'm flying it. And I have gone from having the concept in my head, telling the world it was going to happen about three and a half months ago, formally, to now not only having a website and branding, but also having leads from a whole range of both now signed clients and potential clients in health in digital, in advertising. And it's, it just has happened so quickly that I was just like, oh, this is a lot, right? And, you know, I'm known as an N of one. And what's also been kind of amazing to me to go to the third adjective is there are people who in the last week, week and a half, month, who've raised their hands to help. I haven't had to ask for it. So as I now kind of look at, book of business and all of that, I now actually have hand raisers who are going to come in and help, which is like quite an amazing thing to happen. Um, And I say that I'm grateful because I'm not only grateful for the fact that I have people in my network who've been willing to step in and help, but I'm also just grateful for this opportunity because we are living and working in a world where job security is not necessarily guaranteed. Right. And even when you do have something, It may not be the job that fuels your passion, right? Mm -hmm. And it may not be the environment that you want to work in, right? So I have an opportunity now to kind of build my own community and collective with which we do work that we really love, right? And we really truly use our voices to hopefully advance change, right? It's, It's a perfect example of being able to kind of build the seats at your own table, as they say, if you, did yes. that, if you weren't able to do that before, now you can do it on your own.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm going to get back to your personal brand and your consultancy. But first, I okay. want for us to talk a little bit and for the listeners as well, for you to tell me a little bit about your mental health journey and how you got here, because I'm sure it took a lot of fortitude to just leave mm-hmm. safety and security to start your own consultancy. So how's your mental health journey been up until this point?
1: I would say it's kind of been this kind of a roller coaster with lots of ebbs and flows, right? Mm-hmm. Um because I went from a, situ- a scenario of security, right, and certainty to uncertainty. And I would say because of like we were saying, you know, just the fact that I I have this fighting spirit that's kind of allowed me to have a certain measure of tenacity and resilience, right? Mm-hmm. But I also have had to navigate those lulls where you're not sure what's going to come in, right? You have people who may be challenging and questioning what you're doing. So you have those elements of like self-doubt and quite honestly, I've also had some imposter syndrome, right? Because yes. for as much as I've worked in the corporate sphere and the agency world for more than two decades, right? I still, sometimes I'm like, am I really it? Am I really the right person? And what, keeps me going is the fact that I know that I came here with a purpose and my parents who are both no longer with us were very very good at instilling in me and my brother that kind of larger bigger picture future vision that you always should hold right Mm. but I will say and I think you and I started talking about this when we first started when we first met coming from the Caribbean talking about how you manage those lows or those times where you spiral has been challenging because we from come from a culture where people don't talk about personal mental health, right? We very much focus on being strong, right? Showing like fortitude. We literally turn into the ducks with the armor. Right. But sometimes mm-hmm. you have to like acknowledge those points of vulnerability. Right. And those times yeah. where you feel a little unsure of yourself, Um and for me, that's where not only my friends have been helpful, but it's also where, you know, certain forms of self-care that I've really, truly invested in have been helpful. Like I'm a huge fan of Vedic meditation. I'm a huge Ooh. fan of neuro-linguistic programming. I did life coaching um, with Lacey Phillips, who now runs the Two B Magnetic brand that really focuses on NLP and reprogramming and that growth mindset. That has mm-hmm. helped me exponentially, right? Because it's moved my head from always from being in like a disaster, like kind of like catastrophe headspace to moving into like yeah. reframing and relearning headspace. Um, I also, and I think COVID has helped with this, been, become more focused on giving myself grace, Mm. Right. Yes. Because, you know, again, kind of going back to the culture we grew up in, you kind of just like suck it up and move on. Right. And you also just could like kind of continue to push yourself. Right. But I think we've all seen that way of operating isn't sustainable. It leads to burnout. And sometimes it's okay to give yourself a break. It's okay to say, you know, I might not be able to get to this today, or I can't do this call today. Could we reschedule? Right. Yeah. It's okay to maybe make a mistake with something. Right. Because yes. we don't necessarily all have to be operating from a perfectionist mindset either. So I'll say, you know, a lot of the things that I've invested in and that I am a true fan of, I've doubled down on particularly in the last few years. And I mm-hmm. think, all of the insights and learnings from COVID in terms of how we operate, how we engage, how we cut ourselves slack, I think are going to be the things that continue to fuel us all moving forward. Because it's yeah, helped me.
0: Absolutely. Yes. There's so many things that come out at me. And I have to say it because it's really, really important. So you you mentioned, so you started out talking about your journey, about how you're a fighter and all these other things. And then you're like, oh, but well, wait, I am an imperfect individual. And you've been in this work for two decades and Mm -hmm. still go through moments where you're questioning and have imposter syndrome and you know going through all the things that all of us are going through i think it's really important like it's not to celebrate that we all have lows but to just point Mm -hmm. out that we have a common experience Um, Mm -hmm. And that we're not alone in this journey, right? Like we are all experiencing some form of doubt or, you know, lull in our, in our journey. And I think it's important to, like you said, invest in your self-care, which that brings me to the second point is that you mentioned really like culturally informed and relevant care versus the Mm -hmm. traditional forms of mental health care. Um, which mm-hmm. we haven't talked about too much on this podcast, but I've preached about therapy all the time. But there are other things mm-hmm. out there that help. And like you mm-hmm. said, it's the thing that you're passionate about. It doesn't just have to be a normal like I'm going to the doctor's office. It can be right. I want to make this clay pot today, and it will be my right. self care. <laughs>
1: exactly, <laughs> um, like you know. uh, totally. It could be also just be like I my self care sometimes is is like. Cleaning my house to the sounds of soca. Mm-hmm. You know why? Soca music has a certain number of beats per minute that literally help you move. Like you can't help but move to it, right? But it also is so euphoric. Like it gets you into a totally different headspace. Like it's legitimately yes. happy music. And it's funny because like I do that all the time. My neighbors probably wonder what's going on in that apartment. Um, <laughs> and like, there's a there's a, a crunch gym near me that actually does a soca dance class which some of my friends go to with me it's and wow. but that in and of itself is self-care because you're moving your body you're like elevating your soul and your spirit um yes. and it truly totally is part of the culture that i come from yeah that's absolutely amazing
0: mine is it's a bachata merengue or salsa i have any three of those on and you better believe I am putting on a show. My husband's looking at me like I am crazy, but I am happy. <laughs>
1: right, right, yes. <laughs> Put on a show. Show all those he moves. He's
0: got those songs. Yeah, he's got those songs on his playlist. But he'll he'll act like I am the one who's outrageous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know it's it's funny how that happens because, like, yeah, because like my neighbors wonder about it, but then you start to realize that you know there are other people who know and like the music. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I I just I love being able to make community in that in that way as well, right? Like Mm -hmm. we don't have to do the self care by ourselves. We can share it. We can we're we're social beings. You know, there there Mm -hmm. will be times where self care can be being amongst others and making the connection. So I just really love that. And I'm just reminding myself that I need to go dancing. I just Mental note. <laughs> um, so a little bit about your journey and, mm-hmm. you know, you starting your brand, how has your personal story and your mental health journey impacted your work in this space in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and health equity? How does that all tie together for you?
1: So I will say, first of all, just from like the personal experience, um, one, I grew up, with two parents who were health equity pioneers in my home country of Trinidad and Tobago who were doing work that I actually didn't realize was like part of a profession and like something that was like meaningful because I was a kid. Right. So, you know, my dad started the first nonprofit in the country that provided free dialysis care to people with kidney disease. Um, And Mm. after he passed away, my mother then built it, built it um, through her lifetime and you know they would do fundraisers time to all the like health months you know they do brochures and all of this so i would be handing out brochure copy raise you know like wearing the little kidney pin on my school shirt raising money basically doing what we all call disease awareness right and you know when my when my mom worked with one of the graphic designers at home on the brochure copy a lot of the cartoons and graphics that they included were culturally relevant, they, like, created sketches based on how some people in certain communities in Trinidad would talk to each other. That is Mm. all we now call, like, culturally competent, like, or culturally relevant content. But that was just, that was what we did to make sure that what we were communicating actually resonated. Um, So, and the other piece to it is, which is why I'm so passionate about not only this work, but continuing that legacy is... My parents also worked in their communities. Like My dad was known as the doctor who made house calls um, to two neighborhoods close to us that were poorer neighborhoods. And so much so that when he died, people used to come by our house and be like, this is the doctor's house, right? He just did that because he thought that was important and relevant, right? So when I think of the approach that I take to the work that I'm doing, it's not only making sure that we're centering the work on the people that we're looking to help and support, but that it's relevant, that it's resonant, and that whatever you do actually is sustainable, right? Because one of the things that we know companies are trying to move away from, but it's very, very seductive is to do the one-off activation time to like black history month, right? Mm -hmm. Or to do something in national heart month, you check the box and you move on, but that's not sustainable. You have to be embedded in your communities. Um, I would also say that because I come from a culture of storytelling and also have a journalism degree and have worked as a communicator, there is value in using stories and communications to help educate and build bridges. And when you now look at where we are with the kind of explosion of different social channels and platforms there are so many different ways that we can tell meaningful and resonant stories, be it from a corporate equity perspective or from a health equity perspective. Right. I know we've seen in COVID how important it was to not only use those channels, but use relevant cultural voices and cultural content to encourage people to get vaccinated. For example, Um, I would also say that back to the point that we were talking about be giving people grace, right? I think to do this work, you have to have a certain level of emotional intelligence or kind of what I'd like to call like inclusivity intelligence, right? That's driven by Ooh. like a true equity lens, right? A true empathetic approach, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're often dealing with things that are sensitive, right? And so you have to approach the work with a certain lens but a certain level of EQ, we want to call it inclusively inclusive intelligence. It's like IQ, right? Yeah. To be able to get the work done.
0: Yeah. That's great. Oof. It's really resonating with me because I was just recently at a social justice summit and <clears throat> here I thought, you know, I'm, I'm pretty in touch with what's going on and, You know, I, I understand some of the major systemic issues and how, you know, some Mm. of the things I do relates to that, but then, you know, there were panelists who, as you mentioned, were telling stories. Mm. And, um, one of the ones that really, really stuck out to me was Eric Gardner's mother was present Mm. and the way that she told the story about her son just made it so much more personal and it mm-hmm. and the connection was that much stronger. I mean, I already resonated with the story because I have a black husband and my my kids are are both brown and you know, I was already very hype about the about the situation, but the way that that story conveyed the pain and the impact Mm -hmm. of some of the injustices that we've seen in our country, it can be really, really disheartening. Mm -hmm. But what she, what she said is, and I'm, and I'm, I hope that I'm uh, saying this right, but she, she said she's turning her sorrows into strategy and turning her mourning into movement. And that, Is what really resonated with me and connects to the work that we do because we can take Mm -hmm. the things that we feel that are connected with our identities because it's typically how we're showing up and turn Mm -hmm. it into something, right? Move beyond Mm -hmm. that and really have, like you said, that emotional intelligence to be able to have those conversations. I think that's really powerful. And sometimes we tend to get stuck and that first mm-hmm. feeling of being frustrated with those who don't understand, who may not support the movement or what have you, or don't understand why we're working towards health equity. Um, and like, because you said, it's it's very sensitive stuff and, and mm-hmm. pe- it's very emotional, um, mm-hmm. but getting out of that and moving it into something that tangible that we can all collectively work towards is so mm-hmm. much more impactful and will be effective in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. Versus what we feel today or tomorrow. So that mm-hmm. just, oh, that really stuck with me. Like, I tell you, I cried in the audience when I was listening to her. Oh. It was so powerful. Um, you know, just to, just to hear those words and it's all just connecting with me now in this conversation, which is just full circle for me.
1: <laughs> I mean, and and not, I mean, I love that because the other piece just. to, st- to that story is the human element, right? Because if you think of how, you know, this white supremacist world has operated and painted us, right? It's always through the lens of a stereotype or a caricature, right? Fueled by bias, racism, and all of these things. And the minute you start to tell the story from the perspective of just a person and a human being, there's a dramatic shift, right? So, yes. and for example, there's now that the, a documentary that was directed by um, Tony Lewis Lee and um, another woman about Black maternal mortality called Aftershock. And mm-hmm. we know all of the horrible statistics around that, but the documentary focuses on the story of the spouses these women left behind and they tell their stories, right? Yeah. I mean, that stuff literally like hits you, right? Yes, yes. Because yeah. it makes it more meaningful and resonant in a dramatically different way.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I tell you, people, people tend to have more of a connection in this movement and in this work when they find mm-hmm. a personal why. And that mm-hmm. tends to come out when they hear those stories of others. Like I haven't even been able to watch this documentary because I myself have had very, starkly different experiences with different providers, especially recently having my daughter and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's something as simple as, you know, my doctor saying, Hey, you might wanna, you know, you know, watch this or et cetera, because as a brown woman, you're more prone to XYZ during pregnancy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm 7 months pregnant. Why didn't the previous 3 providers that I saw tell right. me that? <laughs> tell you this, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because she understood the story. She understood the connection and she, mm-hmm. she was a black woman. You know, mm-hmm. and and she understood the the, you know, the grave circumstances that are surrounded in, you know, our health care when we go seek um care from as as brown women. So uh, I'm going to have to watch it. I, I've, I've written it yeah. down and I'm going to take it down. I'm going <laughs> to watch it. Um, I'm just getting over the emotions first. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's fair. That's totally yeah. fair.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to switch gears just a tiny bit here. Um, mm-hmm. We talk a lot about employers and what they can do to be held accountable in these spaces, especially you know as it connects to their personal brand and their values, etc. cetera. For organizations that may not even be there yet, in your opinion, what are some of the ways they can create a culture of workplace wellness in a post-George Floyd environment? Because let's be real, the great awokenness happened really after George Floyd, even though this work has already been done.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, they need to center their strategy and their needs on their employees, right? They've got to start with their people. Right, and start with the most marginalized people in their organization to f- determine where what supports needed, and how and how it can be customized to them, and then build it out from there. Um, because for as much as we know that there are kind of big picture common things that you could do, right? We know that people are looking at like flexible hours. They're looking at things like working with. Companies like Modern Health to offer different, you know, therapists on call or having meditation sessions and all of that. Yeah. Those are like good resources to have, but any you also need to look at what your people are really crying out for, particularly those who are the most um marginalized, and build it out from there. Um, but because that way you have a program that's bespoke. One, two, you would have shown your people that you're willing to listen to them. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that what they see is what they truly need and have asked for. Now you asked a piece about the accountability, about accountability, right? Because you can say you're doing all of these things, but then how are you held accountable? And that's where companies actually need to truly just build in true metrics to measure things. Um, For as much as as a PR person, we always used to say we hated the surveys, but the surveys are the things, (laughs) right, that actually give you a sense of where your employees are at, right? And I think you can use those tools, but also use more focused listening sessions, because in doing either discovery sessions or insight sessions, you get really, truly rich information when you have the conversations with the employees to delve into what you see come through in, in your surveys but you need to put those mechanisms in place to be able to track it. Because the worst possible thing for any employer is for someone to go on the glass or someone to go on to Twitter and issue a rant <laughs> or a complaint. And actually we're, yes. we're seeing the rants of complaints now too on LinkedIn, by the way.
0: Yes, yes, so much.
1: Just so it's much, it's everywhere, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, make sure you check in with your people, make sure it happens regularly and make sure you actually take action. Right. And yes. I, one of the things I'm a huge fan of, which always gets mentioned, the $64,000 question is whether or not people actually do this, is actually tying this to comp. Right. We all talk mm. about the business case for building your employer brand and being the company of the future and for being doing DE&I or making sure you're building in wellness and health equity. But like what's at stake mm. if you don't do it? Right. Right. So you've got to find ways to hit people in a place that truly is going to hurt or impact them.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. I have so many thoughts on making the business case for this work. <laughs> just, <laughs> just in general, um, I understand the need for it, but it's just so rooted in in capitalism. a system that. Yes. In capitalism and making it seem like we need to prove why we need to be centered and be equitable like <laughs> we're just right. we just want to right. treat people in a way that they deserve to be treated right? Um, right which leads me to my follow-up question to that is you mm-hmm. specified focusing on marginalized communities and identities mm-hmm. how do you handle conversations with organizations that aren't ready to center
1: marginalized communities so I always tie that question back to like their why and who they ultimately want to be. Because mm-hmm. if you say or claim that your ambition is to be the most inclusive company, you can't say that that's what the ambition is and then try to do a 1990s strategy. Right. Cause I always like <laughs> to say like, when you kind of saw how everyone was showing up in the world, I was always saying the 1990s called and they want their diversity strategy back right because <laughs> yes. the world that we're in has clearly shown us that white supremacy and systemic racism is real and it is impacting the most marginalized people right and if we address the inequities with the most marginalized people it opens things up for everyone and you're not going to have you're not going to accomplish your goals right and you're not going to be able to deliver on However, you've articulated your business case, if you mm-hmm. don't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just to go back to the point you raised, developmental wellness, to me, that component is a core part of your equity strategy. Right. Because yeah. companies now are the ones who are being expected to do right by their people, not only from a social justice perspective but from a workplace perspective, which is inclusive of wellness.
0: Yes, you could say that again. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, here's the other point that, um, you know, some, some really great uh, colleagues and, and folks in the industry have taught me is that those opening up those inequities doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna have the same solution for every community or every issue. It may right. look very different. Like you said, when you're listening to your employees, one particular marginalized group may really, really need you know, more professional development opportunities to get to a certain level in the company. Others mm-hmm. really just want affirming care, affirming mm-hmm. benefits that help them and support them. So I would encourage people to really stay open-minded on not one size fits all, And, you know, employees are going to have very different opinions on what they think will serve them, which goes back to your point, like, listen to them first and Mm -hmm. get the answers you need. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really great. Um, So what would you say to practitioners like myself and other community leaders that are doing this work Mm -hmm. and listening and are getting burnt out and are struggling to (laughs) to keep on going, you know, what would you, what would you say to them?
1: I always, I say one thing, always remember your why, but then also give yourself the grace and the timeout mm-hmm. because this work is not easy. There is emotional labor tied to it. I think, you know, it's very easy to pour ourselves into it to try to solve all of the problems we also have to know we can't necessarily do that you know you've got to be able to handle what you could handle but also give yourself the time to rest and recuperate right i yes. learned that i learned that 18 months ago because i remember barreling through june and july following the murder of george floyd and having mm-hmm. this moment where i was like okay i've done all of this stuff but i'm a little fried and i just took two and a half weeks off, yeah, didn't go near your email, didn't go near social or anything, um, but I kind of needed that self-imposed like detox, if you will. Um, yes, because you need to regroup for yourself, right? But you also just need to do it for like your overall mental health and well-being, right? Yeah. And that's why I also feel, and it's one of the key kind of tenets to my work. Like you have to pace yourself. I think one Mm -hmm. of the things that you probably experienced this as well as a practitioner was everybody was trying to literally expedite and accelerate everything that they were doing. So we were doing all of the things, right? But then realized we weren't all necessarily successful, but if you actually Mm -hmm. focus on meaningful things and avoid boiling the ocean, you could probably have. <laughs> oh, that's such a good visual. <laughs> I know. I mean, and that's what a lot of people try to do. They try to do all the things and be all the things, but one, that's not possible. Two, that's not going to necessarily net you significant results. So focus on the yeah. things that you think you can, you need to actually fix or the things that you can win on and then go from there. Yeah. This is not, yeah. this is a truly a marathon and not a sprint. And I, I always like I, I one of my mantras was we can't solve 400 years of racism in two months with a blog post and a tweet. Like, you can <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> not the blog post and the tweet. <laughs> no, that's really, really great. And, you know, I'll I'll add, you know, to your point, I actually just had the the true honor meaning meeting Dr. Bernice King, who is the daughter okay. of Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the things that really, really stuck out to me, she said, for the love of God, before you go start another nonprofit or another organization, think about the people or the communities that are already doing this work, right? Like we mm-hmm. can all be doing a little bit in our own lanes, but mm-hmm. if we come together, that's how you make the movement. And that's how she said. That's basically how her father and others who accompanied him truly made a movement is that they came together. And I think that's very true. I think we're at a crossroads now where everyone is doing everything, but so far apart. And I feel like if we just coordinated a little bit more, like having these mm-hmm. conversations and reaching out, Hey, what are you doing? What's working for you? Hey, this great mm-hmm. thing happened. And it, you know, we found that it worked for for this particular you know vision or goal that we had it would be so much easier because i feel like we're mm-hmm. all trying to reinvent the wheel and we're all trying to figure it out i'm just like one person is not gonna undo like you said 400 years of racism um and and oppression right um right. so i just i had to drop that in there because she was she just made such an impression on me and i did not think that she was gonna you know say hey think twice before you start another non-profit <laughs>
1: Right, right. But, she's but you're absolutely I mean, right. You're absolutely right. I mean, particularly when it comes to solving problems of, of health equity, right? When you look at all of the various stakeholders who literally have a stake in bridging the inequity gaps, there's probably a lot more that they can accomplish if they truly came together versus all trying to do variations of the same thing. Um, yeah. And I mean... I don't think like industry, if you will, has truly coalesced around that yet. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's been conversations, but you're right. There are probably some common things that they can all rally around.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And put resources into, Because let's be
0: frank. Exactly. A lot of this work, you know, resources speak volumes. And if we're all mm-hmm. working with a small little little pot. <laughs> On the side, you're not going to do nothing.
1: <laughs> you're never going to accomplish anything. Oh, I know. Yes. Like, just imagine the power of pooling all of that money to re- to mm-hmm. make meaningful investments, right? And not just yeah. like meaningful investments as in, I'm putting $200,000 towards something and I'm going to disappear. It's like right. investments that are sustainable over time. Yes. Yes. Absolutely.
0: I think that is that is the way we end. Make meaningful investments. Uh for anyone listening, please. For sure. <laughs> Listen to what we're for saying. For sure. Uh, before we get going, can you please let the people know where they can find you, your work, how they can connect with you?
1: So first of all, if you want to learn more about me and my consultancy, you can go to the website, which is elisaconsulting.co. Um I also, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn with my full name, Abana Hayes. You can learn more about me, my company, and see all of the content and perspectives that I post. And I'm also on Twitter as Abana Hayes, all one word.
0: I love it. You know, I feel like more and more people are using Twitter. Am <laughs> like, I? really For need better to jump or on for worse.
1: Right. I know.
0: <laughs> I think that's why I've avoided it for so long. <laughs>
1: Oh, I know. I, right, I like I've had a I've had a love hate relationship with it, but I'll tell you, there are like communities of folks like us who are actively using Twitter. So yeah. it's been a really useful resource for me in terms of catching up on conversations, sharing points of view, despite all the other issues we likely have with the platform. So it's yeah, it's serving a purpose. Absolutely.
0: Yes, it's serving its purpose and hopefully contributing in the right ways. Um, I will put all of your socials on your website in the description, as well as Silka Music and the Aftershock documentary, because those are really great uh, things to point to. But I really, really just want to say thank you for being here, for having this conversation, for allowing me to slide into your DMs, <laughs> um, you know, after I just like went completely against my introverted tendencies. Uh, so thank you so much. <laughs> um, and I really, really wish you the best of luck with your consultancy and the collective that you're growing organically. You know, I can't wait to see what, what you all do. And yeah, thank you so much for, for being here.
1: Awesome. This has been great. It's been such a joy. I love speaking with folks such as yourself. Um, I love telling my story. You're letting me lean into my journalistic background, which is great. I'm really happy to be here. And yeah, truly looking forward to all the exciting stuff to come. And I know we'll be talking more and really, really excited to continue the conversation.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everyone, that has been another episode of y Corazon with Abana Hayes um on all things health equity please feel free to follow like and subscribe on spotify and apple podcasts and we'll see you again soon on another episode have a good one everybody